Hello and welcome to Holistic Health Chats, a podcast where we chat about all things holistic women's health and everything in between. I'm your host, Selene Douglas, a women's health nutritionist with a focus on helping women to heal holistically and live pain and symptom free. I'm so happy that you've made your way here. Tune in every week so we can listen, learn and be inspired together. In today's episode of Holistic Health Chats, I am chatting with Alex King, a fellow nutritionist over in Canada. Alex and I discuss the effects of hormonal birth control, the pros and cons of non-hormonal birth control options, and how to best support your body when transitioning off hormonal birth control. Chatting with Alex made me think that she could well be my sister from another mister. I absolutely loved this conversation and I know you will too. Hey, Alex, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here chatting with you again. Yes, I'm so excited. I'm glad that we get to have another conversation about women's health because I enjoyed our first one so much on your podcast. Yes, me too. I'm so excited just to chat all things women, women's health and birth control and anything else that comes up. Yeah, so today's topic is all about um, recovering after taking birth control and we'll go into um, different birth control methods and what to look for when you're coming off birth control. So lots of things that we'll get into today. But before we get there, um, something I ask all my guests is just to share two facts about yourself that most people don't know. (laughs) Wonderful. I love this question. When I saw this question in the prompts, I was like, I just had to answer this question just a couple of days ago. And (laughs) it's like, I hate with this question because sometimes it's hard to talk about yourself and you're like, what did I do interesting with my life? And so, you know, kind of evaluating. So I was kind of thinking of what I haven't really ever talked about on social media. So two things that most people wouldn't know, I would say is growing up, my dream was to actually become an actor. And so I joined acting classes when I was younger and wrote a whole play and we had to act it out. And in grade eight, before you enter high school, we had to do this whole presentation about what we wanted to be when we grew up. And there was two of us in the class, me and my friend, Jessica, and we were just, we so badly wanted to be actors. So we wrote out this whole business plan and game plan on how we, how we would become famous. And so that was one thing that most people don't know. And I'm glad it didn't go in that route. Because <laughs> I can be a terrible actor. I can never keep it together. I'm either always laughing or crying or giddy or who knows what. And then the second one, I'm actually bilingual in French and English. So I studied French my entire life. And actually, university was the very first English school that I've ever been to. So I was full French up until university, basically. And then it was almost like relearning everything from scratch because I grew up speaking English, but I was so used to in that setting, addressing all my teachers in French, like asking to use the bathroom in French, like everything we spoke full French. And so when I was in university and all my classes, we spoke in English all day. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it was kind of a refresher of high school but it made it so much more difficult because it was in a whole other language. So I was trying to keep up with everyone, but sometimes I would fall behind. So it was actually a pretty big struggle. So are you from originally the French Canadian part of Canada then? 
Well, most, it's kind of tricky. I'm not from, like, there's Quebec and Montreal, like, Montreal is pretty French, and usually a bit more north from where I grew up. So I grew up all the way south. So the most southern point of Canada is basically where I grew up. So we border Michigan, if anyone's familiar listening from the States. So basically, we cross border with the United States. So I actually grew up very, very south compared to usually more up north is where mm. more of the French people are. So my French accent is very, very, very different from someone in Quebec. But um, in my very small French town, Belle River or Belle Riviere in French is basically where we speak mostly French, but all most Canadians speak both French and English. And so it just happened that my mom wanted us to have really good jobs when we got older and a lot of the really good jobs. So either working at the border or with the government, you have to be able to speak both languages. And so she put us in French school our entire lives, basically. And did you speak French at home? Sometimes. My mom actually grew up speaking full French in her house, but um, that was like the one time it was like getting to speak English was like a treat. So even when we were at school on lunch break or, you know, during recess or after class, we would all speak English. And on the weekend, speak English. So at home, we spoke mostly English. And then there are, I don't know if you speak two languages, but I speak French as well. My mom's French. I grew up speaking both as well. Yeah. (laughs) You know how there's just like some phrases in French that you don't know how to explain in English like oh yeah I just I don't really know how to express that in English like sometimes it'll be like oh my hair like if it's really crazy or messy or my nails are really bad I'll just say like oh stuff at PTA and it's just like I don't know how I would express that necessarily in English so sometimes we would just say French sentences so it's kind of like a franglais what they call it like half Mm. French basically is kind of what we spoke yeah that's yeah I'm definitely not fluent anymore I um I grew up speaking both and was fluent until about seven eight and then I um I think it was a defiance thing I I knew my mom really loved that I was speaking French with her and so it was something I could control and take away from her so I you know I I don't actually know I wasn't having those thoughts at the time but in retrospect I'm thinking that's what seven or eight year old me was was thinking and and so I sort of refused to speak and then in high school I picked it up again as a distance education subject and then I went overseas for two years when I finished school and I actually did eight months in Switzerland in um did a snow season there and I got a job and they only hired me if I agreed that I would speak French again so uh, that was really good because it forced me um you know I was a waitress so I basically no one there was speaking English apart from there there was a boarding school there with um an international school with kids from all over all over the world a really uh, sort of prestigious school there and so they would speak English but everyone else was all all French and that was really complete yeah completely changed uh and, and I was fluent then and, and started actually having dreams in French that's when I knew that my oh brain my was yeah towards the end was starting to really change but I haven't been back for a couple of years now so it's very rusty <laughs> funny how it just like comes and goes and I haven't really spoken French since I've been out of school really which has been now like over a decade and so Mm. I've spoken it and now I'm just like 
I wish I had an opportunity to brush up on it because now it's it's so crazy how fast it will just vanish. Yeah, yeah, I know. Understanding is a lot easier than speaking as well. I find that if you're not keeping up the speaking side of things, it's just so slow for words to come to you and, and yeah. put full sentences together. But, you know, I think if we were able to travel internationally again and we could go or, or you could even go, um, you know, to a part of Canada where they're all speaking French, it, it does come back quite quickly. It, it's just, um, yeah, it feels very foreign initially. It yeah. does. Yeah. Totally yeah. Yeah. It feels like writing, trying to write with your wrong hand or something like that. It's yeah. just not, it's not right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Alex, could you tell us a bit about what it is that you do in your business and um, a bit about how you're specializing with women? Mm-hmm. 100%. So I am a certified nutritionist with a focus in women's health, hormones, and also the birth control pill specifically. And combined, I have over seven years of formal education in nutrition. So all from super scientific nutrition and nutritional biochemistry, all the way to holistic nutrition. And in my practice, specifically at Nutrition Moderation, I help women deal with the side effects of the pill, learn the magic of cycle syncing, and also balance their hormones and everything in between from PCOS to endometriosis, any women's health related issue, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. You know, you do always have that sort of one niche area, but then you do get an array of different uh, women coming to see you. So it is nice to be able to help everyone. Exactly. Yeah. And how did you get started with that? Often it's some kind of catalyst event of our own that either brings us into the nutrition field or gets us to specialize in one area. So how did that all happen for you? Exactly. A hundred percent. So I do have a lot of colleagues in both the super scientific and also in holistic nutrition. And a lot of my colleagues, the reason why they were drawn into those, into that field is basically because they were struggling with something of their own. And just the stories that I've heard other women tell are just so incredible and how they ended up in nutrition about how their child had this super rare disease or they were struggling with this condition for decades. And it was just so inspiring. And I just thought to myself, especially when I was in university studying to be a dietitian, I was like, I'm not here for any special reason. You know, I felt like I was super healthy and we ate really well when I grew up, but I was always fascinated by food and nutrition because my mom was fascinated by food and nutrition. So growing up, we were always that house that had no pop, not a ton of snacks, you know, really healthy food. We always had the brown bread. So whenever we would bring our lunches to school, my brother and I were the only kids in our grades that had brown bread and everybody else had the the Wonder Bread white bread. And so we felt so left out. We had no sugary cereals at home. My mom would make this homemade granola. And then, you know, once we started bringing friends home on the weekends from school, We had no really, you know, kind of junk food or fun food to snack on. And so at the grocery store, we would beg my mom to buy us Oreos, cereals, the white bread. And eventually we just bothered her so much that she caved and she bought the white bread because we didn't want to feel like outsiders, like the only people who were eating different food. And then after actually we started having these foods in the house, I noticed some some health issues basically. So 
I started gaining a lot of weight as a child. I started losing hair, just some weird symptoms, a lot of gut issues. And then I started experiencing a lot of hormonal issues, which I didn't know at the time. So I got my period pretty young, around the age of 11. And my first period was just a nightmare. So heavy bleeding, lots of cramping. And I wasn't really prepared for any of that. And then a couple years later, around the age of 13, I actually was just in so much pain. So every period was super, super painful. And my mom just kept reassuring me that this is normal. This is normal, you know, herself and all my aunts and grandmas also struggled with painful periods. So I was just like, okay, I guess this is just what I have to deal with for the rest of my life until menopause. And it was just crazy. I was like, this can't be possible that I'm in this much pain that I'm doubled over. I can't move. And I even knew at the age of 13 that it didn't feel right. And it didn't feel normal, but I just kept telling myself, you know, this is normal. This, if this is the pain that everyone says it is, that it just, it is what it is. And one day it was just so much. I had missed so much school and my mom was like, okay, you're either lying because you want to miss school or you're in a lot of pain. And I was like, I'm in a lot of pain. I swear. I'm not just trying to miss all my tests in school. So she was like, if you're in a lot of pain, then I'm going to take you to the hospital and we'll really know if you're lying. And I was like, okay, take me to the hospital because I don't like, I'm in so much pain. Like this can't be normal. And turns out I had a ruptured cyst and I had to go into emergency surgery And they found out that there was a large cyst on my left ovary that had actually twisted and torted my ovary. So I was in so much pain all those previous periods because there was a cyst that was sitting on my ovary that was actually causing it to twist. And then it cut off the circulation. So basically my left ovary had just died and there was this cyst that was on it. And then I was in so much pain that particular day I went to the hospital because the cyst had ruptured. And if you've ever had that happen, you know how painful a ruptured cyst is. It's almost like a ruptured appendix. And so that happened. I went into emergency surgery at the age of 13 and then recovered for a few days after. And now I have stitches that are on the sides of my hips and then one lower one, a couple on my belly button. But um, shortly after that, I also became vegetarian. And so that's basically what got me really into more of that healthy eating. And then I ended up losing a bunch of weight that I had been carrying since I was younger and got super into health and nutrition. And that's basically what led me into dietetics. Mm -hmm. And then I worked in hospitals and realized that a lot of it is more end stage. And I wanted to work more in prevention, but in dietetics, they don't teach you a lot about prevention, working one-on-one supplements, natural medicine, we did not talk about any of that in when I was studying diet when I was studying dietetics. It was more about tube feeds, calculating tube feed rates, calculating renal drips, all sorts of stuff, but nothing was really prevention. And a lot of it was just following Canada's food guide, which has now been revamped, but at the time it was really sad. <laughs> so I was just like, this just can't be right because I grew up a little bit more holistic. And so once I graduated that program, worked in a hospital, experienced a little bit about what my future would be like, I decided that that is not what I wanted my future to be. 
So I found another school here in Toronto offering holistic studies. And so I went to that school and I did a fast track program. So I did a two-year program in one year, did a bunch of um, community service hours, and then just basically dove right in and started working at a clinic. And so after working general in a clinic for about two years, seeing everyone under the sun, I found that my passion and After work hours, I would spend hours reading on the internet about women's health, balancing my hormones, my whole journey with coming off the pill, and all that was just such a journey. And so then I decided that instead of seeing everyone under the sun, I would just specialize more in women's health and the birth control pill. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I also did a uh, dietetics degree too, and I definitely resonate with that. We have... um, similar sounding sort of curriculum over here and it was um, a lot of um, nursing home care and uh, hospitals and things like that and yeah a lot of focus more so on management uh, and preventing malnutrition rather than actually you know improving health and, and being part of that proactive system so yes I definitely resonate with all of that that you just talked about um so let's get started with just talking about uh what different birth control methods are out there and then a little bit about how each of those work perfect yes so let's dive into some of the good stuff so there are a couple different types of birth control, some that might sound familiar and some that might just, you know, you maybe you've never heard of. So I'll split them up into two categories. We have hormonal birth control and non-hormonal birth control. So essentially birth control was created for exactly what the purpose is of the name of birth control and preventing pregnancy. But when the pill got developed in the 1960s, even just in the last couple decades, now it's kind of like the pill for every ill. So doctors are recommending it for everything. And nowadays about 60% of women are put on the pill just for symptom management, not even for birth control purposes. So we have the pill, the birth control pill is a combination of estrogen and progestin. So they're both basically synthetic hormones. And then we also have the mini pill, And that is a progestin-only pill. We also have the shot, the ring, the patch, the implant, which is the rod that you put in your arm, and then also the hormonal IUD. And then for non-hormonal options, we have copper IUD, which is 99% effective and great for many, many reasons. There are a couple reasons why I wouldn't recommend it. So if you already have really heavy, painful periods, that's the case where I would not recommend the copper IUD. Otherwise, it is non-hormonal. So if someone's out there wanting to come off the pill with all the side effects, but also looking for something really reliable that they don't have to think twice about, the copper IUD is great for that. And then my personal favorite, the fertility awareness method, which I'll dive into a little bit more of of how it works. And then that one is 95 to 99% effective if done super well. And then, of course, we have the barrier methods like condoms and diaphragms and then the withdrawal method as well. Mm-hmm. And so as far as how they work, so we'll talk about just the pill and the mini pill. So yeah. they're synthetic hormones. So they basically work by suppressing the signals from your brain to your ovaries. So typically your brain and your ovaries communicate. 
in which hormones to make when and how much and how often. But the pill basically, because you're supplying your body with estrogen and progestin, it shuts off that communication because your brain goes, okay, we're getting supplied these hormones, so we don't need to make any more. So it basically changes the natural function of our entire reproductive system. And so essentially, there's no more need to make natural hormones. So your brain does not secrete any hormones and the ovaries receive no signal to make your natural hormones. So that's kind of how it works is that you're being supplied these synthetic hormones and it shuts off all communication. So that's when we get into some interesting things that happen when you try and come off the pill. Now your body is trying to remake this connection that's been shut off for however long you've been on it. So in my case, I was on it for over a decade. And so coming off of it, the first time I came off with zero support, didn't do any supplements. I didn't do absolutely anything, no self-care, did not prepare. And my body came back with a vengeance. And so that's where we really want to take the time to prepare to come off of it. And that way you can help to reestablish that connection. And then as far as how fertility awareness method works, which is the method that I would recommend to all my clients, it sounds really intimidating when I first met <laughs> everything that it entails. So it entails tracking your menstrual cycle, tracking all signs and symptoms. So when you're bloated, if you get migraines, anything that might come up, track it all in an app, tracking basal body temperature every morning. So thermometer every morning and writing your temperature down, then evaluating your cervical fluid and your cervical placement. So basically tracking all the signs and symptoms your body is giving you. It does sound very intimidating, especially if it's new, but if you do what I did and just take it one step at a time. So just start by tracking your cycle and then start throwing in the thermometer every morning. And then just one by one, you'll start to add in things one on top of the other. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, it'll come so naturally. And I promise you, it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. So now that I've been off birth control for about three years now, I know my body like I've never known my body before. I know all the signs and symptoms. I know instantly when something's off. So for instance, I just celebrated a birthday and I had a little bit of wine and stayed up a little bit later than usual. And my body's been so thrown off. My cycle was about a day or two late than normal. And so it's kind of like all these things that I just know my body so well. I even knew it was going to be a couple of days late because I was staying up a bit later and I had change in my routine. We traveled a bit. So it was just all these things. I just knew it was going to happen. I know my exact ovulation window because I know my body my signs and symptoms. And based on my cervical fluid, I can just predict everything. So it basically tells you so much about your health. It's just like a real life, everything you want to know about your body. You just have to start tuning in and paying attention. Yeah, it is. I I find it, I use the basal body temperature method definitely in clinic with clients, not even if they're wanting to, because some are not initially obviously confident in using that as a uh, a contraceptive method, but even just for the purpose of understanding more about your body and knowing when things are happening, if you're ovulating, all of those sorts of things, I find it really helpful. And before I ever look at 
hormone testing or anything like that in a woman that's experiencing hormonal challenges, I always first want to know if she's ovulating or not, because that often gives us a clear sort of fork in the road as to where to go next. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Once you start tuning in, your body will give you all the signs and symptoms. Everything changes throughout all the different phases in the cycle. And so it's really fascinating. But like you said, if there's someone, a client who's looking specifically to come off the pill and prevent pregnancy, if that's like a number one goal, you know, yeah. when you come off the pill, then there are definitely pros and cons to fertility mm-hmm. awareness method versus someone who's just coming off the pill looking to get pregnant. Yeah. So it can be good in both ways if you're trying to prevent or if you're looking to get pregnant because it will narrow in on whether you are or are not ovulating. But it's very important to look out for those signs and symptoms. And that's the thing you have to get to know your body. And it yeah. does take a couple um, of years. I know it takes time just to understand your body and those signs and symptoms. And that's where you can kind of combine. So I tend to, for the clients who are new to this, I predict a larger ovulation window for them and just ask them to use a barrier method on top of fertility awareness. That way, if they're in and around ovulation, there's they know that they're safe in preventing pregnancy with the barrier method throughout that ovulation window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you ever recommend tools like the DAISY? Do you have that in Canada? We don't have that in Canada. Mm-hmm. Do you have it in Australia? Yes, we do. It's actually, I believe the company has just recently been sold because it used to be under... Lady Comp. Um, Lady Comp was the sort of head banner, at least in Australia, and Daisy was in the US. Um, but they did have a Daisy underneath the Lady Comp banner. But it, I know it's just been sold to another. Um, she's actually a TCM practitioner here in Australia who's bought the company. So it's still around. Um, but yeah, I think it's the branding and everything's getting a bit of a facelift at the moment. But I often, it's always going to depend on the client because, you know, uh, some maybe don't have the budget for that um, initially, or it, it also depends on their goals. But I personally love the Daisy. I've had it for five years now. Um, and they are, so I, I, the prices could have changed, but look, when I bought mine, it was around the $500 mark. Uh, and it's $500 US. Uh, Australian AUD. Yeah. So it's, basically does the same thing that Alex is talking about and that you're teaching your clients in that each morning you take your temperature, uh, your basal body temperature first thing in the morning before you get up, before you move around, before you do anything. So taking that first temperature and now the newer ones just sync all of that straight to an app. So you don't need to put that data in, you just like Bluetooth it to your phone and um, mine still has a cord because it's old, but the newer ones just Bluetooth to the app and send all of that data over there. And then what you end up getting, so it has a, a learning phase where in the first couple of months, it's like getting to know your cycle, kind of like what you're talking about, how you can't just hit the ground running if uh, preventing pregnancy is your goal. Uh, you can't just start that um, straight off the bat. You need to have a spend a bit of time getting to know your body. This does the same thing where you've got three months or so where it just gives you all um, red days. So it's based off a color coding system, gives you all red red days, which basically mean, you know, abstain or of course barrier method. Uh, And then after that, once it starts to get to know your ovulation window, what you end up getting is green days, um, orange days and red days. And 
the more, the longer that you do it for, the more it can accurately predict that ovulation window and basically give you more green days. And that's found, I could have this slightly off, but I believe it's about 99.3% effective if used correctly, which is great. And for some of my clients that are worried about doing the fertility awareness method on their own, I think it's a great option because it gives you that peace of mind. And yes, you still have to be diligent in taking your temperature each morning, but it it kind of helps take a little bit of the onus off you tracking it all and working out what it all means. You can just look at your colors for the day. Exactly. I wish we used to have it in Canada because I know one of my friends and colleagues here has it mm. and she used to have a coupon code and this was like many, many years ago. And then one time I tried searching it up because I wanted to purchase one myself mm-hmm. and recommend it for a client. And then it just said it was not available mm. to be purchased in Canada or shipped to Canada. And so I don't know if there were some rules or regulations or what the heck yeah. happened. But hopefully maybe that'll change and then we could get it back. And then there's a new one that just came to market or is coming to market mm-hmm. called Nap Cycles. Yes. Yep. That one. Yeah. yeah. So there's a couple that, I mean, I would love to get Daisy because I like the color coding system. It's yes. Easy it's easy. It's very user-friendly. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, for clients that are maybe a little more concerned about using that understandably, if they're wanting to avoid pregnancy, then I do find it to be a useful tool. And sometimes, you know, like it can, I don't know if it seems $500 like a lot to people, but just think about you know, the amount that you would spend on the pill every month, you know, whatever that adds up over time. And I've had mine for over five years. So it's sort of um, paid for itself now. Exactly. I just think. Yeah. Just wanted to come come back for a quick second to the IUD. um, Because I know it is definitely a better option than some of our hormonal methods because it's non-hormonal, but Personally, in clinic, I still see so many issues of women who have these inserted, either problems with insertion after, um, sometimes asking to get them removed and being told, no, just leave it in for a little bit longer. It might settle and, you know, it might change. Um, And then other big issues I see is uh, repeat UTIs and um, issues with that urinary tract infections. Um, And then like you mentioned, it does make your period heavier. So uh, if you do already have a heavier cycle, or even if you have a normal cycle, um, you're going to be more prone to say like iron deficiency and and the side effects of that. So I was just wondering what you see at the moment in clinic with that. Yes. Super interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because everybody's going to be at a different point in their journey. Mm. And so it's important to look at the pros and cons of the different methods. And so I personally have also heard a lot of nightmare stories about everything you just mentioned, about whether it's UTIs, yeast infections, um, the body rejecting the Mm. IUD as well. So sometimes uh, the body will just naturally push it out. I've heard of it not being inserted correctly. So Mm -hmm. I heard a story where it was not inserted using um, an ultrasound. Rather, they just kind of put it in and assumed that it was placed properly when in fact it was not. And so it actually was scraping the uterine lining of this particular client and was super, super painful. And so there are a lot of definitely pros and cons. So the copper IUD is non-hormonal, which is great because it's 
not supplying you with those extra synthetic hormones. But again, lots of cons. So I've heard of a lot of doctors, like you said, pressuring the client to just keep it in. And this personally happened to one of my coworkers. So she decided 100% she was in the right frame of mind. She was ready to have it out. She was super confident when we were chatting. And then she went to the doctor and the doctor was just like, like super, you know, no nonsense, straight face saying, is it working for you? And she was like, well, like, I guess I'm not pregnant. And he was basically just like, okay, then like, let's just keep it in. And she was like, no, but I came here to get it out. And he wasn't listening to her yeah, and just didn't have enough energy and, you know, enough in her to kind of fight for, you know, and advocate for her health. And so that was very disheartening when she told me the story, because I just thought she came to you for a specific purpose and you just dismissed her, all her symptoms, like didn't hear her out, nothing. And then she left super upset crying. So then it upsets me because it's like, well, now also my client is unhappy and, you know, worked so hard, talked herself up just to go in there to talk to her doctor and her dis- and her doctor was so dismissive. And so that's disheartening on everyone's end, really, because we're doing such a disservice to women. If doctors are not listening to their clients, like that's where a lot of the data comes from. A lot of studies right now are not done on women of reproductive age because they don't like to include women of reproductive age in a lot of studies. So we're not studied. And so if a doctor's or if a if a patient is coming to a doctor with all these symptoms and the doctor is not listening, that right there is like real life clinical experience, clinical trial. But if you're not listening, then it's just doing a disservice to everyone, really. And so she was super upset. So I have heard of a lot of stories like that. Mm. And there are a lot of cons to it as well. So just something to be aware of that there can be a lot of issues with it, with the um, copper toxicity, because copper and zinc also work like teeter-totter. So copper will display zinc. And so if you're depleted in zinc, then there's extra hormonal imbalances, your immune system decreases. Um, that's ten, that tends to be when acne shows up as well. And so just something else to keep in mind there. If it is a copper IUD that you will want to be supplementing with some zinc as well. But that's again, why I like to recommend the fertility awareness method, because there's virtually no cons to it. Yeah, uh, You do have a pretty regular cycle. It can be pretty easy, but it will take a little bit, but once you start to understand your body, it takes a little bit of time. And if you do want to invest in the daisy, a little bit of money, but it's something that you'll take with you for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So if you're in your twenties, you will have this knowledge that you can build upon all the way up until you reach menopause in your fifties. So just think about how much knowledge. And then if you choose to have kids, you can pass that information Mm -hmm onto your kids and grandkids as well, which I find would be so valuable if we can start giving women these tools to actually understand their body, their signs, their symptoms, stuff that we weren't actually taught in school that I wish we were, Mm. but, you know, just stuff to look out for signs and symptoms wise. And, and so that's kind of the hope is that more women get to understand a little bit more about fertility awareness method. And hopefully that's something that's taught a little bit more in schools going forward. Yeah, I think it slowly is. I mean, I've seen some great, a couple of great businesses in Australia, at least, who are on that education side of things in schools. And I also feel that whilst there is still such a high percentage of women 
on hormonal birth control. And look, possibly there's instances where that might be the best thing for that particular woman because she has a very unique situation. Uh, I'm not the person to answer that question for her. But um, whilst we do still have such a high percentage of women on it, um, it does feel, and possibly this is just the demographic that I talk to, that there is more and more women though understanding that there is another way and there are other options out there. So that's exciting that, you know, those women will be the ones that will be passing that on to their kids, which is exciting for the future. Exactly. I hope so. I don't know about you, but usually when clients come to me, they've already tried everything under yes. the sun. So at this point, they're like, I'm ready for whatever you recommend. You know, I've already done so much yeah. research into pros and cons of, of everything. So that's, you know, they do tend to come to us a little bit more educated. And that's something that I personally love. Yeah, yeah. It's actually quite rare for me to have a, um, a female client who's on uh, any kind of hormonal birth control. And if she is, she's often saying, you know, well, I do want to come off it in the next few months. So that's actually, yeah, it's interesting. I I don't actually think I have anyone on hormonal birth control at the moment. <laughs> um, so could you just talk us through some of the common side effects of, uh, we'll just talk specifically about the oral contraceptive pill because there's so many, uh, you know, so many different types of hormonal birth control. But if we just talk about that one, um, could you talk us through like specific nutrient deficiencies and what other changes we might start to see in the body from being on it for a while? 100%. So I'll try and keep this short because yeah. actually have a really long list. And if you've ever been on the birth control pill, you know that it comes with that instructional sheet, that black box warning that you, once you pull out and it's, it's huge. It's like the size of a newspaper with like font size 10 mm-hmm. and it has all, all the, the possible side effects of the pill. I never bothered to read it, even though no, I me was- neither. <laughs> That was the first thing to go in the recycle was the box and the warning. And so same thing with most of my clients. We just threw that out right away. There is a graph that I love and use all the time by Dr. Jolene Brighton, mm-hmm. the woman, and then it has all the side effects possible around the woman, which I find is very visually appealing and easy for a lot of my clients to comprehend. So I'll just kind of go through the list pretty quickly because it's pretty long, but I'll start off with nutrient depletions, which you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So that is something to always keep in mind if someone's been on the pill, which again, I was not educated when I was on the pill about this, is that the pill depletes a lot of B vitamins. So B2, B6, folate, B12. It also depletes vitamin C, vitamin E, vitamin A, selenium, magnesium, zinc, and CoQ10 which we need a lot of those nutrients for so many different bodily Mm -hmm. functions. And so even just the B vitamins are great for energy. And if a lot of those are decreased and then vitamin C and zinc and magnesium are decreased, magnesium has over 500 enzymatic activities in the body. And it's also depleted by stress and depleted by poor digestion. So if you have stress, poor digestion, you're on the birth control pill, there goes a lot of your zinc and, or sorry, magnesium and magnesium just has so many jobs that we need it for like mm. proper sleep, good brain function, you know, uh, muscle recovery, just so many different things. So that's one thing is that if you are on the pill, you know, maybe some supplementation would be great. It also changes periods from missing or irregular to light or heavy. It can go either way. 
um, also cancer as well. So while it does decrease some types of cancer, it also increases breast mm -hmm. cancer and um, cervical cancer. So it actually increases cervical cancer by 60%, which my partner was actually enamored by when I showed him that statistic a while back. He was like 60, like six zero percent after you're on it for anywhere from five to nine years or more, it increases by that much. So something to be aware of, blood clots and stroke, which is actually now coming more and more to light in the media, infertility, headaches, migraines, digestive issues. A stat that always blows my mind is that after being on the pill, you're at a 300% increased risk of Crohn's disease if you've ever been on the pill. So it that's kind of outrageous. 300% is insane. Oh yeah. So it causes major inflammation, weight gain, digestive issues. Um, it kind of acts like an antibiotic. So it wipes out all your good gut bugs as well and um, can cause acne, adrenal fatigue, a lot of thyroid issues, especially once you come off. A lot of women tend to experience thyroid issues, hair loss, mood changes, so there's also a study that was done in the Journal of American Medical Association where they studied 1 million women who began the pill and showed that they were more likely to be, to be prescribed antidepressants. Mm. So also major mood changes. That's, you know, one of the number one symptoms that they talk about that's associated with the pill is mood changes. Low libido, which is talked about way less. Same with vaginal dryness, pain with sex as well. Those are things that aren't talked about as much. Mm -hmm. But definitely the things to hit note on are the mood changes, digestion, nutrient depletions are the pretty big ones, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And I've touched on this a few times so far in other episodes, but I look, it was a long time ago that I went on it. So I know things have changed and people do things differently, but no one sat me down and went through this with me. And I was 15 at the time. I was a child, honestly, yeah. like a child. Uh, and no one sits you down and goes through all of these things with you. And I had um, at the time, uh, my mom used to get migraines quite badly. And I, as a teenager, after I went on it, would get them. I was debilitating so badly. And I would probably get one every fortnight or something like that. And if you've ever had migraines before, they that you're basically useless when you get them. Um, and I used to have to go into a dark room. I would vomit um, and just couldn't, I was out for like eight hours if I got one of those. And that was a, yeah, twice monthly sort of thing. And, you know, I, I, very, very, I might get one every three years or something like that. Now I really very rarely ever get them now. Uh, and the mood changes definitely like, I just felt like a zombie, honestly, when I was on it. And it really wasn't until after that I had that contrast because, you know, contrast creates clarity and I was off it. And it felt a few months later, like ding, 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 ding. Like the lights just went on in my brain again. And it was like, Oh, okay. This is how it's meant to feel. And yeah, I just think more of that needs to be talked about, particularly the more serious ones around what you mentioned, Crohn's, um, increased risk of certain cancers. And uh, what was the other one? The mood changes. Like we, I think you can't underestimate how serious those things are. And particularly when you're giving them to kids, like it's completely safe. It's really not. And also I think, we need to be considering 
if we are giving it to people, talking to them about and going through their family history because that's such an important part of also looking and determining someone's risk as well. Exactly, 100%. And I don't know about you, but it was kind of cool to take the pill, you know, yeah. when you were yeah. in school. And so I didn't have a choice basically after surgery because then my doctor and my surgeon was saying, okay, you're prone to cysts, go right on the pill. So mm-hmm. after my surgery, that was basically like the first stop was then picking up a birth control pill. And I was like, whoa, 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 why do I need this? Like, I'm 13, like, I am not sexually active. I do not need a birth control pill. And they were like, no, 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 this will help prevent cysts. And I was like, weird, like, but okay, I'll take your word for it. You're my doctor. And then the surgeon sat me down and just explained the purpose of the pill that it would prevent cysts, but no side effects, nothing. And so, and by the way that it like prevents cysts is it basically just covers everything up like a big bandaid. So I was still having all my hormonal issues, Mm. all my issues, digestive issues, all that was getting worse while I was on the pill. And at the time, you know, I'm 13. So I'm just sitting there like nodding my head, like, yep. Okay. And he was like, so then you're going to be on it. If, and when you want to get pregnant, come off, get pregnant, go back on until menopause, then you can come off and you're, you know, in the safe zone. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, makes sense. And now that I'm an adult and I teach this to women, I'm like, it's not that easy to come off, get pregnant, go back on. Like, it, no, it no, 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 no. It does not. For some women, I've seen it be, you know, fairly seamless, but they're, they're the minority. And I tend to call them like the unicorns of the women's health world. Like they're, they're definitely a small portion of, of women out there that have that kind of experience where it's, it, it does seem seamless for them. Exactly. It can take about, it can take up to 18 months for ovulation to come back. After yeah. Stopping the pill. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. Right. And for some women, you know, it just, it takes so much longer to balance their hormones coming off the pill that usually it's not that easy to get pregnant right away. Yeah. Well, particularly when you're, it's not just your hormones that have to start working again. We've got to correct nutrient deficiencies. We've got to get your gut working again. We've got to get your liver working again, like all sorts of different things that really need to be repaired. Um, I'm conscious of our time today, Alex, but I would love if you could, um, direct listeners to where they can find out more about you. And um, certainly if anyone's wanting any help um, with recovering after birth control, then you'll be in wonderful hands with Alex. Perfect. Yes. Thank you so much for chatting with me. So I do have a 12 week program that walks women through exactly whether they're looking to come off the pill. We walk through that one-on-one together, totally customized or if they came off and now are all of a sudden experiencing post-birth control syndrome, then we come up with a whole plan to bounce their hormones again as well and reconnect that brain and ovarian connection. And so I have that on my website. You can head over to nutritionmoderation.com. And I'm also on Instagram at Nutrition Moderation. Same with TikTok and Facebook, everything. I'm at nutritionmoderation.com. Love it. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Holistic Health Chats. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a rating and review in iTunes, as this allows me to help more women just like you. 
Holistic Health Chats is not intended to replace medical advice, so please consult with your practitioner before making any changes to your current health. If you are ready to take your health to the next level and would like some personalized support, the next step is booking in for a complimentary health chat. Please head to selendouglas.com forward slash book for more information.